0: Thank you, thank you, sit down, sit down. Thank you, Doc, so grateful to be here, such a great leader. So many great friends, so many people who I remember from back in the day, that just means that you're getting old, and so so grateful to see uh, Jeff Grinnell, in my opinion, the greatest male youth pastor of all time, and thank you all four of you who agree with me. And and Jeff Dio, who I thought, man, my gosh, if I could ever get his autograph, I would, if he could just follow me on Instagram, if he could just be my Snapchat friend, it would just be incredible. And so we're going to talk today uh, out of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, uh, these guys are not Green Bay Packers, but they are uh, members of my team, and so so grateful to them. And and I am actually, I hate when people do this to me, but I'm going to make them stand up and I'm going to tell you who they are because I'd love for you to get an opportunity to meet them. And so uh, this very uh, tall gentleman with the great hair, this is my friend Dallas and he is him and DJ, raise your hand DJ. They are the pastors of our Fox Valley site. Pastor Brady is our youth pastor and my son's hero. Pastor Jonathan is our creative pastor. He's over all things digital. And my friend uh, Pastor Scott, he is the pastor of our downtown Green Bay site. So if you want to just kind of get to know them, that would be amazing. So let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for my friends in this place. Thank you for everything they represent. Thank you for the families that they come from and the families that they will begin on a firm foundation that is set in and upon and only with you. And so I pray Uh, For everything that they would be, everything that they would become, I pray today that we would leave this place less like we came in. That, God, we would leave here less like us, and we would leave here more like you. Open the windows of heaven in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, you don't know me, but I was raised by crazy people. And uh, I think you all probably think that you were as well. I know 100% that my kids think that they were raised by crazy people. In fact, I have two kids I have a 14-year-old daughter. Her name is Aubrey. She wants to be on Broadway. And I have a... Thank you for all the... If you know anyone, we would I would love your phone number. And, uh, and then I have a son who's just gone into his sophomore year. His name is Isaiah, and he wants to play in the league, and he will play anywhere that asks him to do that. And so uh, one of the things that I think is interesting is I can't get my kids to text me. I gave them phones. I pay for their phones. They have unlimited everything on their phones, but I cannot get them to text me. And so I was talking to my son about why I can't never get him to text me. And so he said, well, why are you texting me? Nobody texts because we're not old. And so he told me that I needed to snap him. And so I, I had to get a Snapchat, which I, I hate Snapchat because I don't think there should be anything in your life that lacks accountability, but he has... Thank you so much. Uh, so I got a Snapchat so that I could... Uh, uh, snap my son, which is awkward to say that you snap your teenage son. And so I did bring my contact info, and I, this is the only slide that I have, and uh this is my uh, Instagram. Is North Central under no? Just kidding. Uh, this is my contact info. I just thought if you guys want an opportunity to get a hold of us, then we would love the chance to just answer any questions that you have about ministry. Or we also own businesses and operate businesses in our community. So for you, beautiful business-minded people, any help that you want, we're available. So that's my email. That's my cell phone, and that's. Uh, my Instagram and my Twitter. I don't know what my Snapchat is. If my son were here, he could tell you. And so, anyway, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, that's it right there. But uh, when I say that I was raised by crazy people, I legitimately mean that I was raised by crazy people. My dad was bipolar and my mom was diagnosed as clinically psychotic. My, my mom, uh, when my sister was five, she came in and, and she, she got dirt. On our kitchen cabinets, like like five-year-old girls do, and so my mom took a lighter and she burned the tips of all of her fingers so that she would remember that you don't ever get dirt on Mommy's cabinets again. and And on that day, my sister was taken into uh, child protective services along with my two older brothers, and my mom was taken into a psych ward where she spent. Uh, several months and was highly medicated. And so I spent my whole life being physically, verbally, and emotionally abused. And so because of that, I struggled with an inferiority complex. I I struggled with these massive insecurities and had these dangerous identity issues. And so I looked at God uh, like God was the homecoming queen and I was the pimple-faced boy in the corner who would never get that Prom coming queen to dance with me. I looked at him like he was the captain of the team, and I was the chubby kid standing on the wall who went unpicked when everyone else got to play the team. And you know, people who have identity issues tend to create false identities, and those identities present themselves in two ways. Sometimes, insecurity causes you to present yourself as small, and so you walk around and you undersell who you are. You walk around, and you, you make God look like he's small, and so you short-sell yourself, and, and you, you act like you're really meek, and you, you act like you're, you're wounded. Pe- people who are abused, we, we, have a, we have a quick reflex because we never know when the next blow is going to come. The second way that people present themselves with insecurity is rather than presenting themselves as small— they present themselves as significant. And they present themselves like they also are something that they are not. And so out of their insecurities, they present themselves as more than they are. And we tend to transfer our identity issues on others, especially on God. And so when I came to Jesus, I viewed God through the lens of my father, who who was bipolar. And one of the things that I didn't know about bipolar until I was an adult is that people who suffer with severe bipolar, they tend to disappear in significant moments. And so so it would be very common in my home for my dad to not be at Christmas. I can think back on many Christmases where we would wake up on Christmas Eve and my dad would just ghost. He would just be gone. And we would spend almost all day Christmas Eve looking for my dad. One time we found my dad in our backyard in an abandoned car with shorts, no shirt, no shoes, no sock, lean back in an old Datsun 210. Another year, we found my dad inside of a, uh, the lawn shed in our backyard, and, and uh, he, he, had, he had popped, if you know metal sheds, metal sheds if you're slick, you, could, you can get something in and you could pop them open, and, and that's the only way you could steal a bike. And so he'd come in and he, he'd pop the edge and he'd get in and then he'd close it so it would still look locked. We unlocked the door to the lawn shed. There's my pops sitting on a paint bucket, same outfit, chilling. One time my dad just left our house with no ID, no coat, middle of the winter, no ID no coat, no money, no shoes, walking to the airport. We had no idea why. And so when I became a Jesus guy, I thought God would be like my father. And when somebody said, you need to receive your heavenly father, I said, "Uh, I already played that game. I already went down that road. I'm not trying to find God in a lawn shed. I'm not trying to find God wandering around somewhere like he's crazy, frothing at the mouth because he doesn't know how to celebrate a holiday my father never went to one football game in my life. When I was 21, I got a note from my dad. It's a little card. It said, thanks on it. And inside in his, you know, gibberish writing, he, he wrote these words, I love you. That card has gone all, that card has flown 1.7 million miles all over the world. It stays in my passport wallet because I want to be reminded of the thing he won't say to my face, but that he feels in his heart. And so I transferred all of these thoughts of who my father is on who I thought God would be. And so I just knew if I subscribed to the God thing, that there would be significant moments in my life where God would not be there. So I used to be uh, an assembly of God evangelist, and and that just meant that I was tired of being a youth pastor, and I wanted to travel, so so I like. Got my little packet together, y'all. You know what I'm talking about? I called all the district youth directors, told them I'm coming out. Had my little promo thing. Didn't have a video because that wasn't a thing back then. So just I had a little printed out thing. Had my own ministry, passion ministries. Had a picture of a dove with fire coming off. And I said, oh, shoot, Wednesday night's going to be off the chain. He's got a dove. <laughs> got a couple bookings. Went out, traveled as an evangelist. So got, got a booking. At North Dakota State Youth Camp, I said, oh, sucky, sucky now. North Dakota, got to be off the 10. You don't know what happened. So I showed up at North Dakota camp. I was ready. District youth director said to me, okay, here's the, here's the schedule for the day. We we'll just have uh, morning chapel and uh, night service and uh, morning chapel. Night service. Yeah, the morning chapel is uh, 14 Services. You trying to kill these kids? We're trying to get them not to love Jesus. 14 camp. I only had four sermons. I didn't know what to do. I knew this. I knew you got to get them saved. You got to get them sanctified and burn their CDs. You got to get them filled with the Holy Ghost. And you got to get them called to ministry. If you can do that, you could preach anywhere in the world for the AG. And I thought, how could I turn these four messages into a series? So by the end of the week, man, like I was exhausted. I, I couldn't play Xbox all week. I had to write sermons the whole week. I was writing new stuff, new material. I'm like, this stuff's not going to be good, but it's going to fill time. And so I preached my little 14 messages, and I was exhausted. I got in my little rental Malibu and got to take off, and I was heading to preach at the biggest church I'd ever preached at in my life at that time. I was heading to preach at First Assembly of God, Fargo, North Dakota. I said, Oh, shoot. I knew I was gonna sell some product, cause there was gonna be a lot of people at that service. So I took out, stopped at the gas station, got a monster, cause it's no Christian crack. I popped it, drank it, turned on my music, POD, cause that was as edgy as you could get and be a Christian. I turned on my POD, let you know, South Town, and started to drive down, windows down, ready to go. Three hours later, I see a sign. Welcome to Montana. I drove three hours in the wrong way. Had to get out my car, get another monster, get back in, drive all the way back. Now it's going to push it to even make it to the Sunday service. And I thought, you know what? That's a lot of how we begin our Jesus journey. With like good intentions and thoughts about what it's going to be. We have all the right stuff. We're, we're geared up. We got all the, we got the drink. We got the music. But we spend so much time heading in the wrong direction, chasing the wrong Jesus, until suddenly there's some kind of a sign. And I think I spent the first at least 15 years that I was in the ministry, chasing, serving, talking about the wrong Jesus. And so I want to talk to you today about the right Jesus, the Jesus who I've met in in the last seven years, really, of my life, when I just determined that I was going to stop trying to be who people wanted me to be, and I was going to become who Jesus designed me to be. And there's this really—thank you, thank you—$10 after the service for you. No, there's a (laughs) fascinating— You owe me $10. (laughs) No. I'm just playing. There's this really fascinating story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and, and maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you've read it before. It, it, it's, it's the story of the prodigal son is what we call it. It's really the story of two lost sons, or it could be the story of the prodigal God, whatever it is you want to call it. It is a parabolic ballad. It is a, an inverted parallelism story, and if you don't know what that is, you can ask your theology professor after this because I don't have time to go into what that is. But in that story, in the story of the prodigal son, we see three identities— Here's what this story says. It says there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent them into fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his belly with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, one version says, when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out, and I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I, I no longer am worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and fill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So then they began to celebrate. And most of us, we pause. That's kind of the rap. That's the easy one to preach about. But then it goes on. It says, meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the ranch, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. What kind of dancing is that? They must have been river dancing. He heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, fool all these years, I've been slaving for you. I ain't never disobeyed your orders one time, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my boys. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, he comes home and you kill the fatted calf. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead. Now he is alive. He was lost, but now he is found. In that story, we see three identities. You have the younger son who everybody talks about. You have the younger son who had taken on the misidentity of lack, Somewhere within his interpretation of who he was, he had determined that he didn't have the things that he needed. And some of us, we live our lives in lack. We live our lives in poverty, not just financially, not just spiritually, not just emotionally, but we live our lives in a spiritual poverty where we act like we can't get what we need when God's already got everything we even want so he lived his life in lack, and he came to his father, and he said, give unto me what is due. And how many of us, we live our lives like that? We look at God and come to the altar, and we, we run when the worship starts. And no offense to people who do that. I'm talking about there are people who do that because somebody else did that. People who come up, and they're, they're like, I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want. And when is the last time we stopped telling God what we wanted and gave him what he needed? He was, he created us to worship him. So the younger son, he lived his life with the misidentity of lack. The older son, who Tim Keller says most of us are, he lived his life in the misidentity of loyalty. Walking around talking about, look what I did. Look at me. I've done this all my life. I've all my life. You've never had to think about me, never had to worry about me. And how many of us are living our lives like that? Like, God, you owe me. I've been at chapel every day, been at the front, been running up and down, brought the flag in, got a shofar off Amazon. I thought about regola. How I can't pass this class. Why did she break up with me? Why did my parents get divorced? Why is my dad unemployed? Why do I got to take out student loans? God, you owe my life. I went to camp. I was a royal ranger. I was, oh, my God. And God is like, I already provided all your needs. You have always been with me. You didn't have to do all this. You didn't have to say all that. You were already mine, and I was already yours. And so he had the misidentity of loyalty. The father, on the other hand, was the only one with a true identity. The father who risked everything. The father who lost everything. The father who, when he saw his son afar off, ran to his son. Now, I was just in the Middle East. Had a conversation with this older Middle Eastern guy. I said, talk to me about the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. He said, what's up? I said, when the guy ran to his son, talk to me about that. He said, "Mm mm-mm couldn't happen that's his disconnect everybody's got a disconnect somewhere in a scripture and it's whatever it is you experienced or didn't experience we put ourselves in the book when we really shouldn't put ourselves in the book but he put himself in the book and he said i would never it it is an insult it is demeaning you lose your you lose your reputation as an older middle eastern man when you run which is why i want to move to the middle east i'm not trying to run I said, but 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 would you run? When when would you run? He said this if my granddaughter had been stung by the black scorpion, maybe I would run then. The father lifts up his dress and starts booking. That's an old school word for running fast. Jeff knows that word. I'm just saying. He starts booking, and let me tell you why he was running. He was running because when the son left, he was ostracized. He was never allowed back. He forfeited his right to be a part of the kibbutz. He forfeited his right to be a part of the community, and that was punishable on return by death. And when they saw that son coming, the people in the kibbutz would have started running at him to kill him. And the father takes off to outrun these fools that are trying to kill his son. And he slides in like he's on the twins and throws his cloak over top of his son as if to say, "Safe! you don't touch my son because he had an identity of love. No matter what his kids did to him, he had an identity of love. And some of you have been trying to live in this false identity where all you got to do is show up. And he's running, covering protecting, providing everything that you need. And some of you need to know, you are not small. You are not slighted. No matter what your parents said or what they did or put their hands on you or what some teacher or some priest or some whoever tried to tell you or speak death over you or, or demean you or minimize you, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were the first and not the last. You're above only and not beneath. You are more than a conqueror. Scripture says, I'm not making these lines up. You are the apple of his eye. He already asked you to dance. You've already been picked on the team. You've already been accepted. So, so here's my question. What if we changed the narrative? What if we got to know the Jesus that we say we serve, and rather than just serve him, we kick it with him? What if, what if we develop a relationship with this guy who we have said we serve? So it's like, that's like church talk. Like I, like I want a personal relationship with Jesus. So like, like I brought these guys with me. These are my boys. These are my brothers. These are my friends. These guys, like, these guys aren't my staff members. These are my guys, man. And when I introduced them to you the first time, I introduced them for what they did, but I didn't introduce them for who they are. So when I introduce somebody for what they do, if what they do doesn't benefit you, why would you need to meet them? Why would you need to spend any time with them? But when you get to meet them for who they are, and you get to see like my friend Dallas, he moved from San Diego, him and my friend DJ moved from San Diego to Green Bay because they loved me. They were loyal to me, faithful to me, wanted to be a part of my life and and DJ is one of the most industrious, servant-hearted people. they literally—if you were friends with DJ, there's not one thing in your life that you'll ever need. There's there's like like before you can even say you need something, boom. DJ's like boom—he's like he's reading it before you can even start it. Dallas, we didn't even know what to call him when we hired him. I said, "Bro, I want you to be my pastor of fun. What I want you to do is I want you to follow me around. I want you to make me laugh." He does it every day. Just him walking up. He's growing his hair out. And so sometimes he just walks up and he just does this. he's like 6'4". And I'm like, yeah. Mission accomplished. Nobody has loved my kids like Pastor Brady. I will be loyal and faithful to Pastor Brady until the day he dies. He will always have a job with me because he loved my kids. You should know him. You should, like, be a social media friend with Brady because he knows a lot about Jesus, and he knows a lot about how to love kids. Scott, my friend, he's the best photographer I've ever met in my life, and I've never met anybody who reminds me more of Jesus. Scott's just like a, like a, like a Jesus guy. He just like, he's just, he just like exudes it. He, he he doesn't get up in the morning and try to put Jesus on. You know people like that? He wakes up in the morning, and he doesn't even have to ask Jesus, let's go, because they're just like, interconnected. My friend Jonathan, can I tell you, he's one of the greatest husbands I've ever met in my life, one of the greatest dads, beyond all the things that he's talented at. Like, the, he could build you a website in the next four minutes and 20 seconds before chapel's over, and it would be dope. You'd be like, dang, I didn't even know that I could do that. I don't want you to know these people for what they do for you, because, like, they're, they're gonna leave with me today. I want you to know them for who they are. And I just got pretty tired of knowing Jesus for what he could do, like, for me. And I just thought, you know what? I need to know Jesus for who he is. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. Someone who will never leave me. Who will never, like, I'm not going to find him in a lawn shed. He's not going to disappear in moments that are significant. And so, What identity have you been creating for yourself? More importantly, what identity have you been creating for Jesus? I think it's time that some of you change both. Would you close your eyes today? Just just all across this place. I don't know who you are. Most of you I've never met. I may never see you again until heaven. But what I know is that some of you are here and you have created a whole bubble you left your hometown, you thought you'd escape it, but your problems come with you. And so you came here and you're still depressed. You came here, you're still melancholy. You came here and you just started selling yourself short all over again. And it is time for you to stop selling yourself short. To start recreating yourself into who God has called you to be. And so this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, the first thing that we need to do is have a genuine Salvation experience with Jesus. Here's what I know. I prayed the prayer. I'm pretty sure for the first seven years that I was in ministry, if I died, I might would have gone to hell. I prayed the prayer, but I didn't change a thing. And some of you are here and you thought those words were going to get you in. But can I tell you it isn't the words, it's the change. So this morning, I wonder if you're here and, and like you created a false identity a security blanket, a not-go-to-hell moment when you prayed that prayer. But this morning, maybe, you want to meet who Jesus really is and invest your life in him. So with nobody looking around, I wonder if you're here today and you say, Sean, I need to receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Here's all that means. When you say you want him to be your Lord, that means he gets to control what you do. When you say you want him to be your Savior, you're just recognizing that you no longer can rescue yourself. So if you're here today and you say, Sean, I actually need to receive him as my Lord and as my Savior. With nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand right now and I'm going to have you pray a prayer with me. Thanks, 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 thanks. thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, 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 thank you, thank you, thanks. Cool, would everybody in here pray this prayer with to me? Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord and be my Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your eyes closed just for a minute. I wonder if you're here and you'd say, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl but I'm not living in the true identity of who he's called me to be. There's somebody in here, you're trying to become a youth pastor, you're supposed to be a CEO. Somebody in here, you're trying to go into business and you're supposed to be a pastor. Somebody, you're in here, you're supposed to be a lawyer, whatever that may be. You've been on a track trying to become who your father wanted you to be rather than who your heavenly father wanted you to be. So I wonder if you're here and you say, I'm living in a false identity and I want to become who God really called me to be. If that's you, would you raise your hand so that I could pray for you today? Whoa, Jesus. Father, today for my friend, in this place. Give them hope, God. Define who they are. Help us become everything and everyone that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Doug, are you here? Give it up for the doc because his vest is so fresh and so clean. Hey, I'd like you all to stand to your feet. Chapel is over, but the altars are open. So if you want to come and you want to pray through that that commitment to Jesus and that commitment to his identity for you, the altars are open. So come on up if you've got time. Bless you. We'll see you tomorrow.